When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, I'm Brian Hyatt, and this is Rolling Stone Music Now. Today, we're going to have, any minute now, a very special guest, uh, Lenny Kravitz. You may have heard of him. Um, And it's a nice opportunity because he's kind of between albums. I think he's working on his new album right now. And sitting down in a chair right now, I can confirm, wearing a really excellent sort of like black suede denim jacket that I want to know where he got it. Uh, is Lenny Kravitz. Hello, Lenny Kravitz. What's that meant? That was good timing, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Just slid into the seat. <laughs> How you doing? I do like that. Doing good, man. I do love that jacket. Oh, that thank a, you. Uh, it's a beautiful day out, man. It's, it is a, it is, uh, it is lovely weather. Yeah. Lovely, terrifying Spring weather. Springtime in the winter. <laughs> Springtime for Trump land in February, <laughs> you might say. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so... Welcome. Thanks for being here. Thank you. So, do you still you still have a place in New York? You just moved out of no. Oh, I, you don't. I don't. Oh, okay. No. I mean, I'm I'm from New York. I lived here many many years, as you know. But um, yeah, I live between Paris and the Bahamas right now. Got it. Okay. So you, yeah. you've cleared out because I know you had a you had a beautiful place uh, that I think Alicia Keys now owns. <laughs> in, in she she's now out of it. Okay. And somebody else is there now. Yeah. <laughs> Who can keep up? Yeah. Real estate man. But, but yeah, yeah, she had it for a while. Yeah. Uh, but do you, do you still spend a substantial amount of time? Oh yeah, in New York? I'm, I'm yeah. always in in and out of New York City. Yeah, got it. Um, and why did you decide to leave? Um, you know, I've always loved Paris, and yeah. I wanted to go for it. And I bought a house there like about 12 years ago. And the Bahamas, where I've been living on and off all my life, is where my mother and my grandfather were from. Yeah. So that's you know th- those are my roots, and uh, so I, I love spending time there. My studio's there. In the Bahamas, yeah. yeah, yeah. Do you have a studio in Paris as well? Yeah, I have one in Paris as well, but the one in the Bahamas is sort of the main studio, with the, with the you know larger live room, and but they're kind of sister studios. And my impression is that you are your last album was Strut in 2014. Yes. Uh, and my impression is you're pretty deep into the next record. What's going on with that? Yeah, I'm pretty deep into a couple of them actually. Uh oh. Okay. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, one uh, that I'm finishing now. Uh, will come out this year. Yeah. And um, I'm I'm feeling really good about it. it it's one of those uh, things that are, is just very inspired. You know, I, I, I work best when the music just comes. I don't like to work for it. Yeah. Meaning I will work at it. I work extremely hard at it once I, you know, started recording it. But I don't like to work at the writing. I like to dream the songs. I like to just hear them floating around uh-huh and so when i pick those songs up and when i get a flow going like that that's that's the best expression for me um because it's something channeled as opposed to something that's crafted and worked on right and uh so that's i just went through a really good phase for the last month and a half where i was dreaming these songs um hmm. you know i wake up some sometimes you know four in the morning and 
I'm hearing a song in my dream. Wow. So, and then I just wake up and then I have to remember it. Wow. So either, I, you know, I have a thing next to the bed where I can put it down or I uh, run over to the studio mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, just start recording. When you, since you play basically all instruments, mm-hmm. what would you start with? If you had a song idea and you ran into the studio, what, what instrument would you start with to lay it down? Um, as I'm recording, actually, not 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 well, not, work, guess, not working on the song. I guess sure, working on it. Well, first I, yeah, I usually yeah. sit I usually sit down at the piano or the Fender Rhodes or an acoustic guitar and work out what I've just heard in my head. Uh huh. And then I normally start with the drums to get the rhythm. Right. So I'll record the drums first, then a guitar or a piano or whatever the keyboard might be, and then bass. So then I've got a little structure, mm. and then I'll do a vocal. And then I'll start to do all the other overdubs, whether it be orchestra, as guitars, um, you know, whatever it may be. You have songs come to you fully formed, like with chord progressions. Yeah, yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. yeah. That Sometimes it, they come partially. Uh-huh. And you have to find whatever, you know, if you need a bridge, whatever, you find it. But a lot of them come complete, which is really, um, it's, it's really interesting. That's wild. Because when it's all done, I finish recording and I listen back, and I'm like, "Where the hell did that come from?" You know, it's 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 you don't know, you don't remember doing it. It's mm. just kind of like it's done, and then it's like, "Wow, it's like a gift," you know. That is uh, no wonder you believe in God. That that's you know that that's incredible. you know it's 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 wonderful, and it's uh, and that's the way I like doing it. So so this album that I'm working on now is pretty much eight songs in. So I'm gonna do two or three more. And then I have another one that I've been working on that uh, I can't say too much about, but I'm uh, gonna make a film to it. Huh. And then you'll know about that uh, soon, but. Interesting. Yeah. Is one, I mean, you were talking, I think, about an album called Negrophilia. Yes. Uh, is one of. <laughs> that, that's that's the film, yes. The film, okay. Yes. So that that's something you've been working on for a very long time. Yeah, it's yeah. Uh, something that I've, been working on it, put it away. I work on it, I put it away, and uh, she's pretty much done now. Mm. And so uh, I'm excited about that too. So I, so it's nice having two things that are completely different and that are that will be ready to go. So uh, there won't be a break between the next two. And you know, after that, I'll probably be on the road for the next five years straight. Hmm. This is going to be a, a a run. So do you think you're going to put out the first one this year and then the... the, the yeah, because then I have to film at the yeah. end of the year. Yes, yes. Got it. So it's all going to come up. The second one is like Purple Rain. You want, it, has to be all, <laughs> it has to be all the, the one thing. Yeah, it's got, exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Uh, that's wild. That's mm-hmm. wild. I mean, you seem to be you seem to be on a pretty good roll musically. Uh, the, your last two albums were really strong and, and they're also released independently, which probably means... You've always had freedom, but does it feel more free well, with no one to answer I've, to? I've, I've always, it, it didn't change. I mean, yeah. at, at Virgin Records, where I had, uh, you know, the lion's share of my career, I I had complete creative control, and nobody, you know, nobody ever heard the albums until they were finished. Yeah, um, there was no A and R person coming in checking. It was was really good. That was the one thing I made sure, beside other things and you know business points, but that I made sure that I had complete control. Um, and you know the last two records, you know, uh, you know, working independently with these with these distributors, um, you know, one worked well, one didn't work as well as I wanted it to. Um, you know, 
there's far less money to spend in promotion and things are different now. Yeah. You know, obviously they're changing every five minutes. <laughs> um, but, uh, um, but the last two records I'm very proud of and, and, uh, I mean, black and white America was a, was a really strong record. And, um, and, uh, you know, a fan favorite, um, people were really into that record. And, uh, and then Strut was uh, another one of those things that happened really quickly, um, you know, where I was just channeling these these songs whilst uh, filming Hunger Games uh, in in Atlanta. Uh, so I didn't sleep for about a month. I was filming in the wow in the in the days, and then going to the studio all night until the morning. Yeah. You know, a song like uh, The Pleasure and the Plain, uh, excuse me, The Pleasure, that's hard mm. to say, The Pleasure the and the Pain, yeah. The Pleasure and the Pain from, mm. from your last record. I mean, that that is, that is a great song. I think Matt has it. Matt, you want to play a little bit of A Pleasure and the Plain for a second? It's been a while since you've come around I missed you so, you know you broke me down That feels like... You know, that's a song that would have been a standout song in any phase of your career. Mm. And there is a thing where it's like, because of the way radio is now, because whatever, like, that song isn't as famous as, like, some other songs. When, when that happens, is that frustrating, or, or is it just the way I things mean, are? You count on people to get know, to it, or what? You know how pop radio is. And I it's, do. It's, it's, <laughs> it's a very small club. It's a, it's, an, it's a club. It's an ageist club as well. Um and they played the same, you know, 15 songs all day long. And um, and I could easily say, well, okay, I'll, that's what I'm gonna go for. Mm. But I, I, I can't, I, yeah. could, I, I can, but it wouldn't be true. Yeah. Now, if something comes and it happens to work in, in that way, great. But um, I'm gonna make the music that comes through me and I'm not going to worry about, um, you know, what's going on today or, you know, what people are doing or the style I, I never did you never did that's in the, for sure, in the yeah. beginning I never did I mean when I put Let Love Rule out in 89 one thing that some people at the label were saying was that you know it, you know, you have to compete with what's going on on the radio and they you know at the time it would have been say you know Bon Jovi or whatever at, you know at that time you know and the just to name one not saying anything bad at all but just saying that you know at the time it was you know the big gated drum sounds yeah. and and all the sort of hyped up sounds that were going on and my record sounded really organic really um you know direct yeah didn't have effects right really like that and um you know they would say hey but you got to compete with that so you got to get the bigger sound and the whatever and and so you know i didn't yeah um but I you know I've always been pretty much opposite of what's going on on the radio. Yeah. And then when I started having the hits, you know, it started to change, actually change radio a bit. Yeah. You know, there were certain songs that hit that you know, the radio station would later say, well that opened up, you know, the vocabulary at our station. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it ain't over till it's over. I think mm -hmm. I think that was your first top ten. That hit, was the right? first like yeah. big, you know, pop that was number two with a bullet for I don't know a couple of few weeks. And um, yeah, 
was Brian Adams. He was number one with that. Everything I do, I do it for you. See how I remember that? And he had that. It was that Robin Hood movie. Yeah. Kevin Costner, and they they had they had big money behind that, and it was a great song. And and so I had that number two with a bullet just sitting there, was sitting there. But that Robin Hood song wouldn't move. Um, but yeah, but that was uh, that was a song that that actually I wasn't going to put on the album, huh? Even though. It was a very important song and a song, you know, that had a, a lot to do with what was going on in my life at the time. Mm. Um, but I knew it was a hit. Yeah. And I, you know, I didn't want one. Why? <laughs> I, I did, you know, I was in this place just like, I don't, you know, ah, it's a hit record. I don't, mm. I don't, it's that, that thing when you're young and you're, you know, you're, you're independent and yeah. didn't want to be part of that. But, you know, again, that song wasn't like what was on the radio. No. But I just, I felt it. I knew it was a hit. And I was going to give it away um, to somebody else. Did you have an artist in mind? Um, I think at the time, because, you know, I was on Virgin and Paula Abdul was... Actually, Paula Abdul's money, I was told from selling all those records, was why they could sign me and spend money on me. So I was like, let's give the song to Paula Abdul. Yeah. You know? Wow. Um, I think I wanted like Smokey Robinson and Paula Abdul to do it as a duet or something. Huh. I, I remember telling Jeff Aroff, who, who signed me, and he's like, no, you got to put it on the record. It's really good. And, and um, God, I, I th this sounds so crazy, you know, but at at the time in 80 in eight well, that was that was 91 yeah um we still had the the black side of the label and we had the pop side which mm. meant white pretty <laughs> much and um the the lady who was the head of the black department really liked it as well because it was an r&b song sounded like a motown song yeah and uh so anyway they persuaded me to put it on the record and there it went the rest is history yeah um, so we are talking with Lenny Kravitz. This is Rolling Stone Music Now, and we'll be back with more in just a minute. What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the behind-the-scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve Podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. We were talking about uh, it ain't over till it's over, mm -hmm. um, and we, and then we got to listen to it a little bit. And it's really, I mean, talk about nailing a Motown vibe. I mean, and that's something you're able to do. You're almost it, it's almost you're almost too good at that if you want to. Yeah, you know, I I would imagine it's 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 a challenge to have that facility because you can ape a style, and then then you're always able to kind of transcend it and make it into something new. But I mm -hmm. think if you didn't make that extra effort. You're just too good at, well, I, at copying a vibe. You know? I never, um, I mean, as you know, the basic, I don't think about it when I'm writing it. So I'm yeah. writing the song and then it just kind of happens and it's just because of whatever your background is and whatever you're influenced by will, will come through like any artist. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, that one's definitely got like a, a, a Motown-y kind of vibe. And then, Philly soul. Yeah, and then toward the end, it's got a little earth, wind, and fire with the horns. Actually, those are the Phoenix horns. Nice. At the end, playing the horn line. Um, but, 
yeah, it's just like, you know, what I grew up on. Yeah. You know? One of the things that I grew up on, I grew up listening to so many different styles of music. How consciously did you study the music you loved as opposed to just listening and vibing on it growing I, up? I mean, that was that was my school. Listening yeah. to to records, man, that was that was the way to learn how to to arrange. Yeah. You know, I mean, Earth, Wind & Fire, Maurice White, I mean, mm. my teacher, you know, uh, Barry Gordy, my teacher, Jimi Hendrix, my teacher, Led Zeppelin, my teacher, hmm. Al Green, my teacher, Rita Franklin, my teacher, Nina, I mean, Nina Simone, uh, Duke Ellington, Miles Davis, I mean, every style of music. Right. Um, I mean, you know, for Bob people who, for people who don't know, Duke Ellington and Miles Davis were actually like in your house growing up. Yeah. Not, not the records, the people. I yeah. mean, the records too, I imagine. Yes. Which is insane. Yeah, I was very fortunate to, um, you know, my parent, my mother was an was an actress, and uh, my father was a producer at NBC News, and he also was um, a jazz producer, mm. and so, you know, they were they were a part of the jazz world, and and uh, yes, yeah, so I I mean the the memory with Duke Ellington was when I was I think I was about five, was my birthday, and we went up to the um, to the Rainbow Room, where Duke was playing, and and we showed up for the sound check, and he sat me on his lap while he sound checked and <laughs> played the piano and then they played happy birthday to me during the show and Paul Gonsalves who was his sax player at the time you know came right up to me at my, our table and played the sax in front of me and it was it was amazing and yeah Miles Davis uh, you know people that I grew up with and um you said it, it, you said Miles was nice to you I don't, I don't know how much interaction Miles was really cool yeah. with me I mean he was he was a very intense figure but um he he liked my mom a lot uh-huh. And um you know my godmother Cicely Tyson and who was Miles' wife and my mother were like sisters. Wow. And so uh um uh, Miles was 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 cool with me. Yeah. And um in fact till the end I mean he he got to hear Let Love Rule and Whoa. um we actually were flying on a plane together the last time I saw him. Um flying from LA to New York and he was on the same plane he came up to me and he was telling me how much he, he liked the record and he was so proud of me and I said well I, I mean I was of course blown away and really appreciative that he took the time to listen to the record and dug it and um, so I said well I'm working on the next record now Mama Said and there's a song on Mama Said called What Goes Around Comes Around which is kind of like a has a bit of a jazz vibe a yeah. jazz soul vibe and uh, I told him I wanted him to play the solo. And he's like, yeah, cool. So we'll, and he, he ended up passing shortly after that. Um, so that never happened. But I was really blessed to have that, that conversation with him on the plane. Did having, first of all... The pleasure and the plane. Yeah, the pleasure. <laughs> it's all been a journey through the pleasure and the plane. Sorry, life. guys. That's because he, he, he couldn't say pleasure and the pain he was saying pleasure and the plane so we've been having a little bit of an inside joke uh, during the commercial break my my curse upon Lenny is that <laughs> next time he sings it live he's going to be unable to get the words out so that, that's going to be my revenge here but see how it came yeah. full circle <laughs> now we had the pleasure on the plane with Miles Davis <laughs> you knew what you were doing you were setting me up man it's all calculated <laughs> it's all a plan uh, so you grew up obviously in a world of 
creativity mm-hmm. and, and where art seemed like an option. But at the same time, you said and and your dad supported. It's like semi supported your yeah. music. He he helped you with studio time and stuff like that. But at the same time, I think you said that he he was basically this isn't going to go anywhere. No, he he <laughs> you know he was he came from a military background. Yeah, my dad was a my dad was a you know in the Marines. He was like a sergeant. He, then he, then he, so he was a Green Beret, you know, who are the seriously hardcore cats. And he um you know so he had that military very discipline. He was a very a, a very strong disciplinarian. Yeah, and um. You know, I was paying less attention to my schoolwork and more attention to music, and you know, so I ended up moving out when I was fifteen because we had a bit of a run-in. I was trying to go see Buddy Rich play a concert, and <laughs> and and uh, he he didn't want me to go, and I, I, over that it turned into this big fight. I ended up moving out mm. when I was fifteen, and then later, you know, when I because I I continued to go to school and I graduated high school because yeah. my mom would have had a fit. <laughs> if I hadn't have graduated high school, so I was like, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna at least do that. Yeah. And um, uh, so they had money that they had put aside for my college, and I I wasn't going to college. I I knew from the time I was five years old that I wanted to make music. Hmm. So I got them to give me a piece of that <laughs> bread um, to go into studio time. Yeah. Um, at A and M Records. Uh, Back when I, you know, was eighteen, and I made some demos, and was that the Romeo Blue stuff? Yeah, it was that Romeo Blue stuff. Yeah, yeah and, I, and and it was it was a really great learning experience, and you know, I got to record the studio, and you know, learn all about that, and I worked with a great engineer, uh, and uh, you know, I got to meet a lot of people, and it was like it was like the beginning of everything. Were you already proficient on all the instruments you're currently proficient on, or, or was it a, a, a graduate? I was. Class? I wasn't. Yeah. I wasn't. A, the level that I became later, but um, you know, I was still playing multiple instruments. But I, I, I always wanted to be in a band, so I always would get guys to come in. Right. And so later, now cut to doing Let Love Rule, um, which I did on my own. There was no record label um, when I was recording it. I wanted to again have people play. I wanted a band experience, even though I was a solo artist, and uh, we couldn't find the guys that sounded right it, we'd have guys come into the studio and play and and uh, just didn't sound right uh, over the microphones you know yeah. different players sound, you know sound very different once you put that microphone in front of them you know um, some guys are great live or have a lot of excitement but then you put that microscope in front of them and all of a sudden it's like not so happening and um, so my engineer at the time uh, said, well, why don't you play the instruments? I've heard you play all the instruments. Why don't you do it? Yeah. And I was like, no, I don't want to do that. Like, that's no fun. Like, mm. I, I want to have people in here. Right. And he talked me into it. And so I ended up trying it. And of course, I was into Stevie Wonder and Prince and, you know, Paul McCartney and folks like that who had played all the instruments on their records. Um, um, Todd Rundgren, you know. Sure. Guys who were proficient at all the different instruments and uh, so I I did it and it worked and it was just me in the studio with the engineers it was very easy I, I, I found it to be a little um, isolated yeah you know because 
you know, I always had this fantasy in my head of, you know, you see, you see all the pictures and the stuff in the recording sessions, you know, in the 60s and the 70s and, you know, all these people in the studio and the band and right. the, the girls and the thing. And it was just like me and, <laughs> and, and the engineer, you know, it's like, this is a little boring. Yeah. But we, we focused and I focused and I ended up, you know, playing most or all the instruments on whatever songs and um, that was Let Love Rule. That was the beginning. And then that sort of, that became my sound. So I continued doing it and it's just a, it's just a very fluid way for me to work yeah at the same time you, you do like to bring in oh I'll bring in like yeah, yeah I mean horns and things and orchestras and whatever just people that specialize in certain instruments yeah absolutely you took uh, an, an amazing amount of heat at the beginning and then later about for being quote-unquote retro uh, which was funny because yeah. then later Bands were praised for the same thing I was dogged for. It became for. the coolest thing, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely, in the early yeah. 2000s, yeah. Yeah. But at the same time, you were prescient in the sense that uh, even in, like you said, Let Love Rules, like the least 80s sounding 80s record. Yeah. And you even hear like a McCartney record or whatever from the 80s, and it's all that is the, the gate of snare, the mm. synth. And I guess you heard early on, like, this is not gonna, this is gonna I knew date it, stuff. I knew for some reason, why I was thinking about this, I knew it wouldn't age. Yeah. I knew it would just sound the same 50 years from then. Yeah. It would be what that is, just very pure. Um, and, you know, all the records I've made, I think, really will stand, as far as that goes, as not sounding dated. Um, the closest thing I did to anything kind of stylistic, stylistically, in the mix was Strut, yeah. which I had Bob Clearmountain mix, which was the first record that I didn't mix. And because I, I was really going for that sort of 1980, you know, Tattoo You, right. Let's Dance. Um, you know, he did the Springsteen, you know, he did everything, did the Chic records before that. But I was specifically going for that sound and it wasn't what I do. And he's the king of that. So I had him mix the record. So Strut has a, has a bit of that, Sort of sound, but then again, when you put on, say, "Tattoo You," sure, that doesn't sound dated today. Start, right. I mean, you know, "Tattoo You" sounds just as amazing right now as it did when it came out. It's a matter of taste, as as you much can't as go too else. far. Yeah, you can't go too far. You know, and Bob Clear, I noticed Bob Clearmountain was uh, credited for hand claps, which means there must have been like one clap missing by the time he mixed it. What's that about? Well, he, yeah. he he's got some magic hands, man. <laughs> he's clapped on some of the best. That sounds funny, right? Yeah. Uh, he uh, he's clapped on some of the best records, yeah. you know, in the universe. So uh, we need we, we needed his his hand clap, man. <laughs> yeah. I was going to ask you, we're going to jump ahead uh, to the 2010s for a second and ask about a line in, in Black and White America, mm. uh, which is a couple albums ago. Uh, when you, you know, you were in a little bit of an Obama optimistic place, I think, at the time, and the future looks as though it's come around and maybe we have finally found our common ground. Do you feel less like that now here in 2017? <laughs> or, or uh, seriously, or do you maintain your, your, your hope? I mean, I'm an optimistic person yeah but uh i mean this these are some very interesting times yeah that we're living in and uh but i'll always remain optimistic i mean there's a lot of work to do there's a lot of work to do and you know it doesn't come from the government it comes from the people uh-huh the people have to really uh i would hope raise their consciousness you know and know that we are all one people 
Uh-huh. We all come from different places. We have different backgrounds, but we're all one people. And, uh, you know, we we can't keep this segregated vibe mm-hmm. at all, you know. Do you have specific concerns given what's going on, with given, given Trump, given the, the mood in America right now? I mean, does, does it change the way you think about things? I mean, people people are... People are bugging out, man. <laughs> you know, people are bugging out, and and uh, there's a lot of people that um, you know aren't for the side that I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. And whether Trump is into that or believes, I don't know what he believes mm-hmm. really. But um, they've got their poster boy, yeah. You know, and they're using that to elevate their their negativity but um you know I, I i think i really think that these times are going to be very interesting because i think that people some people are going to wake up and i think that art and music and people's voices uh their activism i think that is going to get better yeah you know it's time you know, we're meant to reflect the times. And so, you know, pop radio can't just keep singing about partying and chicks and the selfies and the phone and <laughs> the thing and, you know, whatever. It's like uh, we have to stop with all this narcissism and we've got to, like, reflect the times and stand up for what's right. I mean, it's interesting for some of us who have, you know, slightly longer memories, uh, you know, even Let, Let Love Rule mm-hmm. came right after the Reagan era and, and into the first Bush when it didn't seem like there was going to be any break from a, a conservative time in America. I imagine there was a element, even though you, as maybe not always explicitly political, but I imagine there's an element of reaction to that era just in, in, in where your head was at. Yeah. And just where I've always been, you know, um, I do really believe in. In the power of love, yeah. Um, you know, uh, I grew up in a household that that reflected that, and you know, listening to Martin Luther King, you know, when I was, you know, small, small, small child, yeah, you know, um, and so forth. I mean, I believe in those things, and um, yeah, it's pretty amazing that Let Love Rule would like, if it was released today, would it's like wow. It's the same. Yeah. You know? I remember you complaining, not complaining, but just sort of musing about the fact that in your own audiences, you wouldn't see that many black people. Um, and, and you were wondering why. Has that changed at all over the years? Or, or is it still a source of, of frustration? Or, or You know, it's it's become more. I mean, with, with the movement of, you know, al- you know, alternative African, you know, uh, you know things like Afropunk, and which I actually yeah. did last year, and um, it's it's getting more. Yeah, it's getting more. You know, well, I thought it was on the Grammys this year. The only the only two guys playing guitar solos were were, were black guys. I thought that was really cool. Yeah, it's a nice reclamation of you know honestly where this stuff came from in the first place. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's 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 interesting, and it, it feels like. But in general, I mean, you. You obviously had a song called Rock and Roll is Dead a long time mm-hmm, ago. Mm. I remember you complaining in the 90s 
that complaining is such a harsh word. I, I remember you saying in the '90s that you you were wondering where the musicianship was. I sound like like, yeah, a, like I'm Woody you're, Allen. You're kvetching. Yeah. I didn't say kvetching. <laughs> um, you're. <laughs> What's going <laughs> on here? <laughs> where is the musicianship? Um, but you, 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 you. My last name is Kravitz. <laughs> that's that's true. <laughs> you. Um, but you were you were you were wondering where the musicianship was back then, mm. um, and you know the, obviously there's all sorts of forms of musicianship. Yeah, but, I'm, I'm I'm over that. But like yeah. you know, I mean, express you know, expression can be made in any way, and if it's if it's great, and if you feel it, it's great. Whether it came out of a computer or it came out of out of you know came out of a guitar, or so you know. But do, I mean, do I would I like that more young people are in you know into instruments and you know, yeah, yeah, um, and. You know, that's why I really support, like, you know, kids that are, like, you know, in the orchestras and the bands in school and think that's so important, you know, to keep that alive. It's interesting that you're less conservative now, sort of musically, than you were as a young man, which actually I think isn't that unusual. I think people's minds sometimes open up the, op- the opposite absolutely. of the cliche, you know. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. What was the breakthrough on that when you kind of realized, like, maybe I'm being too, too hard well, on Well, I think, you know, Look, I'm only responsible for what I do and what I yeah. make, you know, and 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 I love music made in all sorts of ways, you know. I mean, I listen to so many different things, and and so uh, it's really about the expression, regardless of how it was made. If you can play an instrument or not, if you can sing well or not, yeah. Sometimes it's the person who doesn't sing so well who has the heart, right? You know, what what did you learn? I think you did at least two collaborations with Jay Z. Yes. Um, what did you take away from from your time with him, both as like sort of a talent and a musician I mean, and we a person? Just sort of had this mutual respect for each other, and you know we we'd been around a lot of the same people, and you know we're, we're both from Bed Stuy, Brooklyn. Yeah, and um, and so uh, which was the first? It was Storm, which was on Baptism. Yeah, yeah, and then it was on. Then uh, there's a Black and White America track. That's right. Yeah. On uh, Boogie Drop, right? Yeah. But um, uh, I, I always thought it was really interesting to watch him work because you know I'd, I would come with the track, and I'd go over to his studio, and I'd bring it over, and he'd kind of put his head down and listen to it maybe twice, three times, and then he would just go in the booth and just <laughs> see you later. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he he was really good like that. Did it. it Again, was it sort of a progression where you recognized the the fully recognized the artistry in hip hop? Oh, I've while? I've always been in hip hop. Okay. Okay. I mean, I was I was in the hip hop from the first time I heard the bridge is over, man. Okay, Boogie Down Productions, you know, the bridge is over. Um, um, no, no, I've always, I mean, I remember in Bed Stuy on my block on uh, on uh, Kosciuszko Street, seeing the first like guy that would bring out these like homemade. You know, big speakers and his turntable sound system, yeah. And and I was like, "What the hell is he doing with the record player?" Mm. I was like a little kid, you know. So uh, no, I've always been into hip hop. Yeah, but you just—it was just. But I, I but I had, but I hadn't incorporated it in my music per right. se. Right. Um, Fair enough. But but you know, at that time, you know, it's 1989, 1990, and I think every journalist expected every black musician to be. <laughs> A rapper or a hip hop artist, and you know, I'd, I'd be over in Europe. I'd be doing interviews, and they'd be like, "Why don't you rap? Why aren't, why aren't you doing hip hop? Like, 
Where is like, the rap? Like yes. you're black. You're from New York City. You're from Brooklyn. What's with the rock and roll? Right. You know, and the soul and the whatever. I mean, soul. Maybe they understood that, but I was asked that for so many years in the beginning. Like they right. just couldn't understand why I wasn't rapping. <laughs> I think the word for that is racism, actually, but that's okay. <laughs> I think that's what they what they call that, but that's okay, yeah. I guess. Um, so you've also, you know, you talked to Rolling Stone last year about you had a very long association and friendship with Prince. Yes. Um, and I think we're all kind of absorbing just with him and Bowie. It's it's like these these losses, even though even for us who, who did know them or just interviewed them once or twice, it, it's it's like a, a progression, like any it, other kind of movie. It was a lot for me because yeah. before knowing either of them, you know, when I was coming up, what I wanted to do was sort of in my head when I was, you know, eighteen years old was I want to be a combination of Prince and Bowie. Yeah. Which I don't know that I became any of that, but but <laughs> That was like my thing. And I know everything about both of them. I listened to all their music. I read Bowie's books and da 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 da. And, um, and then I ended up knowing the both of them um, and working with Bowie, working with Prince. Um, I got to know Prince much closer than I did Bowie, although we, yeah. were, you know, we were cool. But I saw Prince more, and Prince and I had, you know, uh, a lot of things in our lives that were. Uh, you know that would that would have brought us together. Yeah, and um, yeah, it was, it was rough, man. It was rough. I had a lot of love and respect for that guy, and he, you know, when I was in high school, he was the artist that, you know, because obviously I would have been into Jimi Hendrix and all these people, Sly and the Family Stone, Funkadelic, all this great music, James Brown. But here was a guy who was young, right at the time I was in high school, that was right there. He was fresh. His music was coming out. Yeah, and I could look to this guy and say, wow, I, not that I can do that, but he's showing me where it can be taken. Yeah. And how unique he was and how different he was as an African American artist. Yeah. You know, compared to the other ones. And um, so he was just like this shining example for me of what you could do. Yeah. And what boundaries could be, could be pushed down. Um, and then after my first album, he reached out to me. He called me for a meeting, wanted to meet me, and I we met and we stayed friendly, and you know until the end. Uh, it's weird. I mean, even um, you know, I, I got to spend like one day with him at, at Paisley Park about mm-hmm. um, in two years before before his passing, and, and you know, one of the things was it was an amazing day, but one of the things was that I really people people asked me, you know, did you see any sign that this was a guy who had any kind of addiction? And, and I said, absolutely not. Yeah, I didn't see it. So it's such a strange, and that's what a lot of people around him say. So I, I, it's, it's, it's kind of a mystery. I think he was so... He was, com- he was so healthy. Every time we go out to eat, you know, he'd be having this little soup or a salad or, you know, he didn't really drink much at all. He'd have these little drinks and it was really healthy. You couldn't bring meat into Paisley Park. Right. You know, um... Or alcohol, even. I remember because I, I, when I was there, do, you know, filming a concert with him, uh, my cousin, who was working with me at the time, uh, snuck some Jack Daniels in, and he got <laughs> he got banned from Paisley Park for like life. <laughs> that was it. Yeah. Um, and you couldn't eat. You couldn't even eat meat on the premises. Mm. You couldn't bring it in. Uh, and yeah, 
I just, yeah, I didn't see it. Yeah, so it's just kind of the one. And I can normally smell that stuff, you know. Yeah, it's yeah. baffling. It's baffling actually, because it must have been anyway. It's a, and and then um, Bowie. What was I, I mean? You worked with him, but what was what was your kind of best moment with him? What what, do you, what stands out in your mind? Um, well, I, I I played a guitar solo on one of his albums on the Earthling, and um, but that was great. But you know, we 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 sang together live. You know. Um, we hung out several times. You know, we we were both on the same label for a minute, right? Um, but he was a really amazing, interesting guy, and just you know, Bowie for me. I was into his records when I was when I was a teenager, um, and uh, I remember this is so funny. I was auditioning at the time because I was still trying to do like theater and movies and stuff. I was auditioning for Spike Lee's. Uh, 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 school days. Wow. And so everybody's coming in with their tapes, you know, and girls, every, every, every girl is singing like the greatest love of all, <laughs> bringing in her tape and guys are singing whatever. I don't even yeah. know what standard they were. And so I come in and I had no tape and they said, okay, what are you going to sing? I said, I'm going to sing acapella. What are you going to sing? I'm going to sing Life on Mars by David Bowie. And I began to sing in front of this panel of people, the, the casting agent, Life on Mars, and I mean, when I was done, it was like, it was like you know Daffy Duck when he you know he does it, da, 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 and it's like crickets, <laughs> it's crickets, it was crickets, man. I yeah. sang Life on Mars, and they were looking at me like, who the hell is this kid? <laughs> Clearly from and, and, and what, yeah, and what is this song? Right, yeah, but, this um, dude is from Mars. Yeah, I was into him from yeah from from the, my early teens, man. So uh, taught me so much. Yeah. So, you know, I was thinking about the fact that you managed to come up in an era before social media, before reality TV, but sort of just before, because you, you've obviously coincided with it. Mm -hmm. And one of the things you've been able to do is, is or were able to do coming up was have this old fashioned sort of rock star mystique. Mm -hmm. You know, do you think that would be harder <laughs> to cultivate uh, or or maintain uh, in, in this era of of total transparency and scarf photos going <laughs> viral yeah, and all that I, shit? I I mean, people just I still stay under the radar. You know, yeah. I, I I show enough, right? I show up enough, but then I I go away. Well, there was that one concert where you showed. <laughs> oh well, yeah. Oh. <laughs> um, that aside. Yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, I mean, it's just a whole. It's just a whole other dynamic now, man. People just want to show everything, everything. There's no mystique, and I, I think it's boring. Yeah. It's too much. Yeah. Yeah. Is that is the old fashioned idea of a rock star? Let, let, let yeah. people miss you. Yeah. You know. Was the old-fashioned idea of a rock star important to you? Did did you want to get that, cop that vibe of like? I mean, I wasn't trying to do anything, yeah. and I and I still don't try to do anything. I just live my life, but I did grow up seeing these people. Yeah. Um, and I saw how they were, and it, and the, and the mystique is what made it. It was so interesting when the only time you could see your favorite artist was either when they were in concert, and or you know when MTV came finally came. Uh, you'd, you'd stay up all day waiting for their video, right. you know, um, or you'd see them on the cover of a magazine, or you'd see them on a TV show, you know, a, 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 an American Bandstand or a Soul Train or whatever. That was it. 
Yeah. Otherwise, you didn't see them. You had to look at it, you know, get your little fan magazines, or whatever, and then buy your tickets, and you'd wait in line for your tickets, and you know, go see them in concert, and this is you know bigger than life before meant, yeah. before screens, so yeah. that like you actually whether you were in the nosebleeds or you, that's how you had to focus on them. And there's something re- that I think was really magical and beautiful about that. Yeah. Um, maybe I'm just romantic, but I I. I like that better. And in the uh, in the couple minutes we have left, I, I just wanted to. I know you have, you have Negrophilia, which is a little harder to talk about. It's the the album with uh, a film project attached. But the the other album, uh, the one that's coming this year, mm-hmm. can you tell just a little bit more about that in the in the next minute or so? <laughs> about but or, or not really? It? Yeah, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> Forty seconds worth. It was it was dreamt. I tell you that. It yeah, was, yeah, it was dreamt. The album's definitely. Uh, uh, succession of just dreams, mm. you know, musical dreams. Style wise, do you have a sense of it? Style wise, cinematic, uh-huh. open, uh, uh, anthemic. Okay, is that An- good? Anthemic is good. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Um, and do you, working on something like that, do you do you think like I need these songs to work live? Does that get in your head? No, I when I'm in the studio, I'm completely just thinking about the music. That's good. Uh, and whatever it is and then after I'm like okay how am I going to do this live <laughs> or that song won't work live and this one will or you know but you never really know till you put it in front of an audience but in in the in the process I'm not because they're these songs are dreamt um they they just become what they want to become you don't have a producer in your dreams and you're your own producer anyway so yes. it's all, it's all yes. good Lenny Kravitz thanks so much for oh, being here it was a pleasure man, man. I really appreciate it uh, so this has been Rolling Stone Music Now uh, come back and join us again at 1pm next Friday on Volume and download us as a podcast on rollingstone.com slash podcast or wherever you get your podcasts and have a great week and we'll see you next time Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker. Although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did, and they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was a three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord. We get it. They have chemistry. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.